God bless everybody today. How's everybody doing? What's up? Uh, A lot of you guys know me. If you don't know me, my name is Joshua. I serve on the worship team here. I am actually, uh, and then every once in a while, I make a a cameo pulpit appearance. This happens to be one of those moments this week, as uh, as you probably noticed, and as was mentioned uh, during the announcements that a few of our students, a few meaning like a lot, are uh, are out in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. They're on their way back now from the Every Nation Student Conference down there. I know they had an absolutely amazing time, the campus staff and and so many of the students, and as well as Pastor Peter. So they're all on their way back now. And in his absence, that's why you get to see my uh, slightly less lovely face, less lovely than Peter. I will admit Peter's a good-looking man. So uh, shout out to him. I don't know why he would put me up here without him here, because now all of my five-hour sermon jokes are totally reality, because no one's here to stop me. So y'all buckle in, get ready. Uh, we're finna go old school. We'll see y'all at 3.30. All right. Um, no, but what, uh, I'm super honored to, to, to speak to you guys today about Overboard. We're concluding our series in Jonah today. Uh, we're exploring uh, how God works in Jonah's life, and we're kind of seeing how uh, that really impacts our lives, how we really not necessarily learn about Jonah, but what we learn about God through how he interacts with Jonah and how, what that means to us. Um, so today, I'm going to go ahead and get started. We're going to read the entire fourth chapter of John. It's like 10 verses, don't worry. Um, so if you would, out of, uh, out of a, a just honoring the fact that we have the Word of God, if you just stand up with us, uh, we're going to read that, and then we're just going to do a short prayer. And if you could put that Jonah chapter 4 up there. Uh, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, therefore, now, Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Or, you know, what right do you have to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head uh, so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, is it better for me to die than to live? But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should, I, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people uh, who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle? If you could be seated now. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we have the opportunity to explore it, to learn about you together as a family. We bless this time. Uh, 
place our hearts and minds in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, Jonah, that's the, that's the last chapter, and we're going to kind of talk about what we find in that. But in order to really kind of understand that, we need to kind of walk back and review a little bit. Jonah was a man that knew God. He was a man that knew his presence. He was a man that the Bible talks about being a prophet. And in that knowing, God called him to a city called Nineveh. Nineveh was a part of the Assyrian Empire in what would be modern-day Iraq. And the curious part to this, um, to this command was that there was a lot of tension between the nation of Israel and the Assyrian Empire, what Nineveh was a part of. There was a lot of tension between the two. It was tension that had grown for years and decades, and it's tension that would continue to grow. Undoubtedly, Jonah and his contemporaries, they all knew and understood the tension, and they knew where it was going. Years later, after this incident, uh, the Assyrian Empire would actually end up conquering the nation of Israel. So when we view Jonah here getting a command from God that says, hey, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh and tell them that it's going to be destroyed unless they repent or, you know, tell them what's going to go down. uh, Jonah, in his heart, is like, you know, no. In his heart, he understands the commandment, but this is like telling me to go, like, warn warn my worst enemy that, you know, like something bad's coming. So... Jonah does the only logical thing, and he goes like four times the distance, like 2,000 miles in the opposite direction. So it literally would be like if God was like, hey, Josh, I want you to go to Austin. And I was like, gotcha, and book this, like, the next train to Mexico. It's like the exact opposite direction. It's the exact opposite of what he was told to do, the exact opposite thing. And on that ship to the city Tarshish, which is in the other side of the world, That's when we all kind of get familiar with Jonah's story. We all know about Jonah and the whale, and and there's this storm, and all the guys on the boat are like, hey, what's going on? And Jonah's like, dude, it's me. And so then they're like, all right, we're going to throw you overboard. A fish swallows him and spits him up back the other direction toward Nineveh. And at that point, Jonah's like, all right, well, you know what? I, I, I just might as well go now. And that's really where we find Jonah right now. It's, it's, the, it's the moments after all the whale stuff. He goes to Nineveh. He actually tells them, hey, the city is going to be destroyed. And they believe him. They mourn their sin and they say, all right, well, we believe God. We mourn our sin and we're going to kind of turn this around. And Jonah goes in this chapter four, he goes and sits down. And he's like, this is what I told you was going to happen. God, this is why I was going the other way in the first place. You say it's going to be a disaster. I come, I tell them, and there's no disaster. See, I knew who you were. I knew you have abounding, steadfast love. I knew you're slow to anger. I knew all this already. That's why I went the opposite direction. I knew this was going to happen. I'm so mad I could die. I don't get that one on Jonah's part, but that's his choice. So, um, and in order to really see what God is doing in Jonah's life right here, and I think this kind of, this moment right here is, is a particularly important moment for us to really see what's going on in Jonah's life, we have to scale back a little bit and look back through the entire book of Jonah. You see, when we really look at Jonah's life, we view it through the lens and we look at it uh, in the context that God moved around Jonah's natural surroundings. We don't talk about Jonah and the choice to go to Tarshish. We don't talk about Jonah and his preaching to the Ninevites. We don't even talk about Jonah and the Ninevites. We talk about Jonah and the 
whale. Everything that we really think about Jonah is related and connected to the fact that there was some really crazy circumstance like a storm or a fish or a fish spitting him back up on the land. We don't really think about Jonah's choices as much as we really connect Jonah in the context of the fact that God did crazy things around Jonah in his surroundings, his natural surroundings that pointed him back toward where he had originally called him to go. And that word appointed, we just read it twice in this chapter. It was in reference to a leafy plant that came up, and then it was a reference to a worm that ate that plant. That word appointed is actually used four distinct times throughout the four chapters of Noah. It's used in, uh, earlier in the book as we look at God appointing a storm. And that's the storm that took place when Jonah was in the boat and everyone freaked out and they threw him overboard. And then the Bible says that, he appoint, uh, that God appointed a great fish to come and swallow Noah up. Then God appointed a big plant to come up and give him shade. Then God appointed a worm. And that word appointed comes from the root word mana in Hebrew. And mana literally means to tell, appoint, or ordain. So when we look at the story of Jonah, God himself, apart from Jonah, in his omnipotence, in his power, in his wisdom, is ordaining nature itself. He's telling the clouds to do this. He's telling the winds to do this. He's telling fish to do this. He's telling plants to do this. He's telling worms to do this. And we can, it's something that we really need to kind of understand because so many times we get lost in this box where we say, okay, everything that God does is completely wrapped around what it means in my life. And that's not quite the case because God apart from us, God away from us is doing and controlling nature itself. It's not that God exists on our behalf or for us. It's that we exist for God. It's not that nature was created so that I could enjoy it. It's that nature was created through his power and his knowledge. And now I am subjected to his rule, even in the context of nature, wind, plants, and really big fish. So that's kind of where we find Noah right here. Is he's kind of at the, uh, at the subjection of God controlling all this crazy stuff around him. But the crazy part of that isn't necessarily that God is controlling wind and controlling fish and controlling uh, trees and worms. The crazy part to that is that God actually is using those things as a means to shape Jonah's life and point Jonah toward Jesus, toward God, toward his heart, toward his will, toward his purpose. That's the crazy part. Yes, we can't think of God as like every single thing that happens is just how it's going to impact us. But what we end up learning is, yeah, God is existing apart from us. He doesn't need us, but yet he uses those things because he loves us, because he still cares about us. He uses those things to impact and to shape our life. Um, I don't know how many of you guys know uh, a guy named Ravi Zacharias. He, uh, he's an apologist. He's a really smart guy. He's way smarter than me. He's, he's probably smarter than most people in this room. Uh, I heard him tell a story 
about a man in the, uh, in the East. It sounded like a proverb. And he said there was a man who lost his horse. His horse ran off. And then his neighbor came and said, man, that was bad luck, man. And the, the, the dude who lost his horse was like, I, I don't know about bad luck and good luck. I don't know what to say about that. And then the horse came back with 20 wild horses. And the neighbor came back and said, man, that's good luck. And then the guy was like, yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe so, maybe not. And then the, dudes who, the dude who lost the horse, his son was trying to tame and train one of the horses. And it kicked him and it broke his leg. And the neighbor came back and was like, bad luck. And he's like, I don't know about that. I don't know nothing about that. And then a gang came into uh, the city and was looking to recruit young men and said, we want every able-bodied young man. They went to this guy's house and they said, man, he has a broke leg, can't do anything. We don't want him. And he walked away. And the neighbor came back and said, it's good luck. The point of that is that we don't really necessarily know what's going on when we're in the middle of it. You see, when we look at Jonah's life, God was shaping and doing something beautiful and majestic and holy in his own will and in his own way. And if we had gauged what God was doing solely by what Jonah thought God was doing, then it would have been a disaster. It would have been a calamity. But soon what Jonah would find out was this was God intimately shaping his life as a loving father. Everything that Jonah went through shaped him to understand God's will for him and for the Ninevites. Everything that God did in Jonah's life was to help Jonah understand his, God's will for Jonah and God's will for the Ninevites. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, throwback to my man Chris Jackson, who got the Charles Spurgeon beard going on real good. Uh, he has a great quote. He said, the storms, the seas, the worst tumults in his own bosom, uh, the upbraidings of the crew, his thoughts of his past, his fear, all are God's instruments. And under his direction, each does its unconscious part toward the subjection of Jonah and the salvation of the Assyrian capital. Here's the thing is when we look at Jonah's life, we can see God doing all this, and it's easy for us. I say this a lot to my guys at work when we go through studies. It's easy for us to read this, hear all this, write it down, and go, okay, uh, man, God did some crazy things in Jonah's life. The harder part is to put us up against the Bible and then ask us a question like, how has God appointed our past, our hurts, our struggles? and intentionally use those things to draw us closer to his heart. That's a lot harder to do. It's easy to read a Bible story and then say, okay, that that sounds good. You know, God is really cool. God did this in Jonah's life. But the thing is, when we flip that and then we say, hey, how is God doing that in our lives? It begins to make us uncomfortable sometimes. And that's a question that I think we can ponder when we read this, is how is God using our hurts, our struggles, our pain, to intentionally draw us toward, toward his heart? It may not be evident right now. For some of us, it's extremely evident. It's become super obvious. For others, we're struggling in the midst of things that hurt right now, and we're kind of 
weaving our way through those hurts and those struggles to understand what God is doing. But it's a question that we need to ask ourselves. In Jonah's life, what he was being pointed toward um, in, in my opinion, and from what the Bible kind of displays, was uh, the revealing in his life, Jonah's life, of God's divine justice and his divine mercy, both in Jonah's life and in the life of the Ninevites. There was only, there was only one issue here. The big problem was that Jonah, in chapter 3 of Jonah, he swallowed by a whale, Big fish. Jesus calls it a whale. I'm going with Jesus. Whale. And um, he's swallowed by a whale. And he prays this big prayer. And he's like, man, this is, you know, God, you're, you're, you're great. I disobeyed. That kind of deal. And then he gets spit up onto land. And you see, in that moment, what Jonah really got to experience firsthand was, yeah, he understood in the belly of a fish, man, I, I'm getting God's justice. You see, I disobeyed. God sent a storm. All these guys were like, what's the deal with the storm? And they chunked me into the ocean. I would have died, but then uh, when it rains, it pours, and I get turned into fish food. And I don't know if you smell those little flakes that you pour into the thing, but it does not smell good. So to be relegated to the category of fish food is pretty low. It's not a good place. It's not an okay thing. I would have rather drowned than been flaky fish food. But... It looks like complete tragedy. And then in the belly of the fish, it spits him back up onto land, and he goes toward Nineveh. And Jonah gets a real big dose of realizing that in the midst of his tragedy, that was actually God's mercy. In our lives, so many times we make plans for our lives. And we say, I want to go here, and I want to go there. I want to do this and I want to see this place. My goal is this and my passion is this. And we start to pursue those things wholeheartedly. We start to run after those things. And when we fail or when we fall short, all of a sudden we look at God and some of us are like, why did God let this happen? Why wasn't God there for me? Some of us that look and have grown up hearing mama talk about God or hearing dad talk about God or grandma or grandpa, we look and we think, oh man, I, this is God punishing me. This isn't God uh, rewarding me. I, I did something bad. I didn't go where he probably said I should go and I made this my passion and goal. So now I'm pursuing this and he punished me. And just like Jonah, when we begin to observe our life and take the time to see the things that are unseen and not the things that are seen, then all of a sudden we start to realize that that moment of pain, that moment that looked like tragedy, really was God and his mercy in our lives. Jonah had to realize that it wasn't his mercy. It was God's mercy. It's not his mercy to give. It's not his mercy to own. It's God's mercy to give. It's God's mercy to distribute and to give it as he sees fit. The trouble here was that while Jonah was celebrating in his mercy, the mercy that God gave him, he looked at the Ninevites and was like, man, I wanted justice for them. 
I didn't want mercy for these guys. What I needed here was justice. See, you, call, you told me to come and tell them the city was going to be destroyed, and I did it, and look, it's still there. It's, look, you're, you're merciful. I knew you were merciful. You're merciful to me. You told me the city was going to be gone, and now it's still there. Again, when we look at Jonah, we see a man struggling to really identify the fact that it's not his mercy. It's God's mercy. It's what God chose to give. And although for the past few weeks, we've really painted a picture of how Jonah and Christ are similar in the fact that they were both sleeping on a ship. And there's a story of Jesus in the Gospels where he sleeps on a ship and they wake him up and Jesus calms the storm. So they're both sleeping on a ship and they're both thrown into a storm. Jonah literally, Jesus, as he was thrown into the storm for our sins, and they both stayed three days in a tomb and three days in the belly of a fish. And there are some similarities. I don't want to take that away. But there are also some very obvious and stark differences between these two individuals. Because when we look at Jonah and how he viewed the Ninevites, we begin to see the need for the greater Jonah to appear in the future. We don't necessarily look at Jonah and say, okay, this is how we conduct our lives. Because in the story, we're not Jonah, we're the Ninevites. So don't get, don't get it twisted. We're not Jonah in the story. We're the Ninevites in the story. And as we look at Jonah saying, okay, uh, they're still here. Look, you were gracious in the first place. I wish I would just die. What we end up seeing is that Jesus in the future, he would come and see the same people who were the same enemy to him. He would see the very people that were guilty of offending him. He would see Josh the Ninevite and all the things Josh did to offend him. Except for instead of begrudgingly saying, all right, man, the city's going to die. I'm trying to run from you. Instead, we would get Jesus saying, no, what the Father's will is, is what I'm going to do. Take this cup from me, but let your will be done, God. We get Jesus saying, no, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You see, in the story, we're not Jonah. We're not learning about who God is for the sake of us knowing what to do in Jonah's circumstances. We're the Ninevites. And we're seeing what man looks, how man looks at other men, and we're seeing how God looks at man. What we end up seeing is that us in our condition was saved by, we're saved by a loving father who does shape our lives to point us toward himself, not because he's some conceited, self-centered glory hog, but because his love is not matched by any other love. Nothing that we would have sought out, nothing in Tarshish was going to necessarily be the same thing as experience and understanding God's full love, which is what God was trying to get Jonah to do. Jonah, I I want you to go preach to the Ninevites because I need you to understand how I look at them and how I look at you. Because down the line, what we're going to see is exactly how God looks at himself in a glorified, awesome God and how he looks at us as his treasured, valuable, precious, precious children. And that's something that no man is ever going to look at us like. He is the pinnacle of love, the pinnacle of affection, the pinnacle of satisfaction, the pinnacle of what really makes our life whole. And that's where we end up today, is examining a loving father who loves Josh, who loves us enough to move some things around us 
that may seem like they hurt, that may seem like they're a struggle, that may seem like they're a pain, that may be a burden so that he could point us toward himself as a loving, holy, embracing, forgiving, abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger, resistant toward catastrophe, Father. Because that's who God is, and that's who God is to us today. Uh, there's some of us in here that have a lot of trouble with that. And if the worship team could start working their way back up here. There's a lot of us that have a lot of trouble with that because some of us don't know what that fatherly love is like. Some of us have never experienced that. Some of us don't know what it's like to be embraced by your father and loved regardless of your failures, regardless of your mistakes, regardless of how you failed. Some of us do know that. Some of us choose to neglect that. But today, whether you know it or whether you don't, whether you've experienced it and you're just shying away from it a little bit, today, if you feel an urge to explore that loving Father more, that's not coincidence. That's a loving Father working in your fears, your past, your struggles, your emotions to point you toward himself so that you can learn about his love for you. During this last song, if you would have anybody that would want to come up and pray, uh, this is, we're going to be up here uh, during the course of this, of this last song. And like I said, if there's anything in you that desires to know more about that loving Father, whether you've known him in the past, you know what that's like, or whether you don't, don't hesitate to come up.